When I was in high school, I was a part of the track and cross country teams and our track program at my high school was consistently the best team in the state. We competed against the best teams in the nation. We were invited to some of the most prestigious track meets in the country. I mean, we were a part of a genuine dynasty. My head coach won 41 state championships. He coached over 100 individual state champions and countless athletes from my school signed athletic scholarships over the years. And every year there would be a big recruitment meeting for freshmen where our coach would try to recruit new athletes to the team. And, you know, of course, in these meetings, we would display our championship rings and our trophies and we would show newspaper clippings of top athletes signing scholarships. And as you might be able to imagine, at our first practice every year, there was always a massive crowd of new athletes that were excited to be a part of this incredibly successful program, and they had dreams of winning a championship. But then our coach would step forward, and he would go through a list of the rules for being on the team. And my coach was an old-school guy, and so the boys had to keep their hair cut short. We couldn't have piercings. Uh, he told us all the specific ways we had to behave if we wanted to be a part of the team, how we had to dress, how we had to carry ourselves. And then he would talk about the training program. And our training was some of the most intense in the country. And he would talk about the workouts we would run. He would talk about the strength program we would do. And he told us about 5 a.m. workouts before school and two-a-days in the heat of the summer. He would talk about how we were. he expected us to sleep and how he expected us to diet. And at the end of his speech, all the new kids, their jaws just fell to the track. They could not believe all that he was asking of them. And usually the next day, the crowd was cut in half. And by the end of the first week of our training camp, that crowd had dwindled to just a small group of athletes. But it was just those few who were the ones that months later would be standing on a, together on a podium holding a championship trophy. And the truth is, a lot of kids couldn't do it. The idea of a championship was attractive to them, but the cost of actually winning one was too great, and so they walked away. And in our passage today, as we continue to study the life of the Apostle Simon Peter, we see a little bit of something like this happening with Jesus. You see, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, He was drawing huge crowds. He was performing miracles and healing the sick and feeding the multitudes, and people loved it. They were following Jesus around. They were waiting to see what Jesus would do next. But what we see in the Gospels is that at the very moment that Jesus' ministry was at its absolute peak, that's when He began to talk about what it would really cost to follow Him. There's a story about a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 who comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you're a great teacher. I love all the sermons you preach. I've seen your miracles. And so I just need you to tell me, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at the man and he says, well, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the rich man at that moment stopped and he considered what Jesus was asking. You know, this was a guy who was so excited at the prospect of being Jesus's disciple. He wanted to be a part of something great. He wanted to participate in the miracles. But when Jesus told him what it would cost to follow him, he considered it. And he realized that he just wasn't willing to pay the price. And the Bible says, when the young man heard these things, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And you know, one of the things that is most inspiring to me about Jesus is that he's just so different from so many leaders today. I think about politicians or pastors or various leaders that often begin with a conviction, an idea of who they want to be and what they want to accomplish. But 
Then when the crowds show up and they begin to experience fame and acclaim and popularity, it seems like so many leaders these days, their whole mission shifts from their, their, their passion to just appeasing the crowds and protecting their brand. And many leaders, it seems, get so intoxicated with popularity that they lose their prophetic edge. But Jesus didn't do this. It's at the very moment when the crowds are at the biggest that Jesus doubles down on the cost of following Him. That's when He says things like, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Leave your mother and your father and follow me. Or whoever wants to save his life must lose it. See, the rewards of Jesus are incredible. There is no doubt about it. Eternal, abundant, I mean, the, um, the life that God offers. But the cost of following Jesus is also great, very great. It's dying to yourself. And in our passage today, John chapter 6, which you actually read this week if you're following along with our Bible reading plan, in this passage, Jesus has just told a large group of His followers that if they want to follow Him, they have to eat His flesh. I am the bread of life. You must eat of me, Jesus said in John chapter 6. And this is a whole sermon unto itself, but Jesus, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's telling the crowds that if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be all in. I'm the bread of life. And it is only with me that you will find joy and rest and hope and fulfillment. So you have to stop consuming all the other things that you're trying to taste for joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. It has to be me that you hunger for. And when the crowds heard this, they realized, just like the rich young ruler, that the cost of following Jesus is too great. And so they walked away. And Jesus takes this crowd of hundreds of people, and with one sentence, He clears the place out. And all that's left is His twelve disciples, and they are sitting there stunned at how quickly things have changed. And here, is our, and here in our passage today, which is John chapter 6, verse 67, look at what Jesus says to His disciples It says, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I imagine Jesus sitting there with the twelve and he points off to the crowd in the distance that's walking away and he says to his disciples, hey, look, they're leaving me. You guys want to go too? You You guys want to bail? And of course, who's the first disciple that speaks up? It's Peter. It's always Peter. And Peter says, Jesus, where else do you think we would go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, as we've studied Peter's life for the last several weeks, we've seen his ups and his downs and his highs and his lows. But right here, I love this display of his faith in this moment. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you two things that we can learn from Peter's statement and Peter's faith here. And the first thing is this. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to other things. See, this is something Peter understood. Peter left his job to follow Jesus and to be Jesus' disciple. Peter used to be a professional fisherman. He had a job, and that was his passion as well. I mean, you don't meet many fishermen who hate fishing. Usually, if you're a fisherman, it's because you love it. It's a hobby and a job. And it's it's likely that Peter really loved his life. But Jesus said to him, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you got to drop your net. And Peter did, because Peter believed that Jesus could provide for him, and he believed that Jesus was better than even this thing that he loved so dearly. And so Peter left his job, he left his boat, he left his passion, and he walked with Jesus. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm beginning to understand that if you want to invest your life into anything meaningful, you just got to make real sacrifices. 
If you want to say yes to something, it requires that you say no to a million other things. I mean, that's what a marriage is. You're committing to one person. You're saying yes to them. By doing this, you're saying no to every other person out there. There are 8 billion people on the planet. You split that in half by gender, and that means that when you say, I do to your spouse, you are saying, I don't, to 4 billion other people. I mean, I think about my high school track team. To say yes to being on a championship team meant that you were saying no to sleeping in, and it meant that you were saying no to junk food, and it really meant that you were saying no to comfort. I mean, you guys know this. To say yes to a diet means that you're saying no to Oreos and Doritos and Dr. Pepper and ice cream. And you see, we live in a culture right now, particularly my generation, and we're really bad about this, but we hate commitment because commitment to anything means that we have to limit our options, and we hate that. This is why we hesitate to commit to things. Somebody invites us to hang out. They say, hey, well, you want to hang out with us later in the week? And we give them a maybe rather than an actual yes. Because we want, if we're honest, to wait and see if anything better comes up. Or we just want to wait and see if, we're, if we feel like it. We want to keep our option open of staying in. And then so many of us complain because we don't experience community or we're not fulfilled in our relationships. And one of the reasons is because we're so darn scared of saying no to all, any of our options that we fail to ever say to yes to any actual one of them. And you see, if you want to say yes to anything meaningful in this life, it will require that you say no to a million other things. See, we think options and freedom is what we need for joy. But the truth is, our joy comes from choosing the right restrictions. That's true in relationships, it's true in diets, and it's true when it comes to your spiritual growth. If you want to say yes to following Jesus, if you want to say yes to growing in your faith, then you've just got to come to grips with the fact that you're going to have to say no to some other things. That will include how you spend your money, It'll include how you use your sexuality, how you treat others, what groups you choose to be a part of, and how you spend your time. And you know, the crowds, they heard Jesus loud and clear when He said, Look, if I'm going to be the bread of your life, then you've got to stop trying to satiate your hunger with all these other things. You've got to follow me and me only. And they just, the crowds just couldn't fathom saying no to certain aspects of their lives, and so they refused to say yes to Jesus altogether. But Peter understood this. He he said, Jesus, I'm staying with you because where else am I going to go? Jesus, I mean, Peter said, I know, that, I know that saying yes to you, Jesus, means saying no to other things. But Peter said, Jesus, I'm choosing you. And that leads into the second thing that I want you to see about Peter's statement of faith here in this passage. And that is that Jesus' past faithfulness ought to inform our future hope. And it's possible that maybe I'm reading into Peter's words here, but... When I read him and I hear his, I kind of hear his voice in my head say, where else will we go, Jesus? You know, I, I get the sense that Peter's thought about this quite a lot. Peter's not just blindly following Jesus. Peter is well aware of what it is costing him to be one of Jesus' disciples. He's well aware of the things that he's giving up, and he's well aware of the things he's saying no to. I imagine that in this moment, Peter might be thinking, you know, maybe if I didn't follow Jesus, I might be making more money right now as a fisherman. Maybe if I wasn't following Jesus, my friends on the lake wouldn't act so weird to me. Maybe, maybe they would quit saying I've lost my mind by following this rabbi. Maybe if I wasn't following Jesus, maybe Peter thought, maybe he wouldn't be correcting me all the time. I mean, he did call me Satan last week. <laughs> maybe Peter even thought about what Jesus told him last week when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die for me. And Peter might be thinking, look, 
If I walked away right now, I might be able to save my own life. But then, you know, I imagine Peter was also thinking back to all those moments of joy that he's had with Jesus. Moments where he's seen Jesus' kindness, his friendship, his concern. Moments where he has seen Jesus' power, his miracles, him calming the storm and feeding the 5,000. Maybe Peter thought of that one time earlier in the Gospels where Jesus actually healed Peter's mother-in-law from a disease. You see, Jesus had been so faithful and so good and so kind to Peter. And maybe Peter is thinking back on all these moments of Jesus' faithfulness, and perhaps he's thinking, look, I know that if I left Jesus today, I would have all these options for how to live my life. But the truth is, none of them are as good as knowing Jesus. And Peter says, so where else am I going to go? I choose to stay with you, Jesus, because you've been faithful. You have the words of eternal life. There's a story in church history of a man named Polycarp. And I actually wanted to name our first son Polycarp, and my wife gave me a firm no. But the truth is, Polycarp's a cool dude, even if his name is a little bit unfortunate. He was actually a student of John the Apostle, who wrote the Gospel of John, which we're studying this morning. And Polycarp later became a pastor, and he was eventually arrested for preaching the Gospel of Jesus. And he was brought before a proconsul, and he was told that if he didn't stop preaching the Gospel of Jesus, that they would kill him. And they said to him, look, if you walk away from Jesus now, Polycarp, we will free you and we will not kill you. And listen, that's a tough situation to be in. But listen to what Polycarp said. He replied, he said, 80 and 6 years I have served Christ and never once did he wrong me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? These are powerful last words. You can threaten me with death, but I'm not afraid of it because I know that for 86 years, Jesus has been faithful to me, so I will trust him even in my death. And they replied back to him. They said, look, man, like Polycarp, we're going to burn you at the stake if you do not reject Jesus. And he literally said, this translated, but he said, well, come on, boys, bring the fire. And he died for Jesus. You see, following Jesus can be tough at times. And it requires that we obey His teachings. It requires that we make time to know Him, study His Word. In some instances, we're going to feel weird around other people because of our faith. And many of us throughout our lives, we're going to wrestle with doubt. And oftentimes, we may feel like it's just too great a sacrifice to really walk in the way of Jesus, to really trust Him with our whole lives. But one of the best ways that we can find our strength to trust, find the strength to trust Jesus with our future, is to look at His faithfulness in the past. And this is what Peter was able to do. But the truth is, we're able to do this in a way that Peter wasn't able to do at this time in his life. Peter, he had seen moments of Jesus' faithfulness and power. But as Christians on this side of history, we actually have in full view the greatest example of his faithfulness and his power because we look back on the cross and the resurrection. And the truth is, if you have ever questioned whether Jesus is good and faithful If you've ever wondered if the way of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, are good and right and true. If you've ever wondered if if Jesus really cares about your suffering, or if you've ever wondered if Jesus actually loves you or that He actually is willing to forgive you, then all you have to do is look at the cross. On the cross, Jesus endured the penalty of your sin. On the cross, Jesus felt completely how painful this world can be. On this cross, we can see that Jesus is for us, and we can see that Jesus is with us. But also, if you've ever wondered if Jesus can actually deliver you from your pain or your addictions or your fear or your sadness or your anxiety, if you've ever wondered if Jesus can restore your broken relationships or heal your past wounds, 
All you have to do is look to the resurrection. Jesus defeated death itself. That means He is faithful to defeat the things in your life that threaten to overwhelm you. Peter hadn't seen it yet, but he would. The ultimate display of God's faithfulness and power is seen at the cross and at the resurrection. And so if you need hope today, or you need confidence that Jesus will still be there for you tomorrow, you can look back to His faithfulness in the past and be confident that He will be faithful in the future. You see, when our lives get difficult, we will all have to face the same question that Peter and the disciples faced that day with Jesus. Are you going to walk away as well? Jesus asked. And when you are faced with that question, I hope that you will join Peter in answering. Where else can I go, Jesus? You're the one who has the words to eternal life. Church, let me pray for you this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection because at the cross we know that you love us. And at the resurrection we see that you are powerful to defeat sin, sickness, Satan, death, and shame in our lives. And so we trust you, we believe in faith that you are good, and we trust and hope that you will always be good to us. And so God, I pray that we would be like Peter. And when we're tempted to walk away, that we would remind ourselves, where else are we going to go? You are the one that has the words to eternal life. And so God, we trust you and we offer our lives to you today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.